Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode seven, Lambo's forecast. A freeze is coming. Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome to our NFL Championship Sunday edition. Sure to be a good debate on whether it's going to be the Packers or the Bucks, Brady or Rodgers, and whether Mahomes will even remember he's playing on Sunday. But before we get into that, let's say hello to the boys. Eddie, I want to start with you. I know that you're not the COVID denier like Sam is, but did you see your idol got his vaccine the other day and had like some quotes about it. My idol? Yes. I don't know which one of my idols you're referring to, but no, that I did not see this. I'm talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. That bit I did see. Yeah. So it was pretty funny. They filmed him getting his vaccine, Sam. I don't know if you've seen this, but the first thing he does is she starts to inject him and he goes, put that needle down and <laughs> like a reference to in jingle all the way. He tells um, what's his name? Phil Hartman to like put the cookies down, <laughs> but like he gave no like pretext or context and the woman didn't flinch. Like I was surprised. I let you be like, Oh, am I hurting you or something? But she, she didn't like even, I don't know if she even heard him. So that was kind of funny. And then afterwards he kind of tells everyone, you know, like, look, I got my vaccine. It's all good. No issues. And then he gave it the, Come with me if you want to live. He's definitely not afraid of turning himself into a meme. Like you have to give him credit that he does not take himself that seriously. And he's very happy to embrace the like meme culture. And but I mean he's well, I think I, I think he's smarter, you know. I think he's smart in the sense that he knows why he's famous, and part of it is just you know, like his voice and his mannerisms and the way he says things, you know, like the corny lines. Well, so I think he also, understands he's a massive it. Meathead. Yeah. Uh, you say, yeah. I mean, look, I agree with what you've just said. At the same time, his life has been extraordinary. And I mean, so he was not only the governor of California, but probably more iconically, he was Mr. Freeze in the Batman film. <laughs> That's my <laughs> I think if he ranks his his achievements, <laughs> I don't think Mr. Freeze is above Governor of California. Ice to meet you. <laughs> that wasn't bad. But no, he, yeah, he, look, his life is, if I had to rank most amazing lives of the 20th century, of 20th century figures, he's in the top 10. I find that unlikely. I'm just thinking of all of his other quotes. I'm sorry. Or like, get to the chopper. <laughs> no, of the Mr. Freeze ones. <laughs> like I mean, the... What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! <laughs> I can't remember any of them now. I just remember it just being horrendously pun central. Yes. Just anything cold was a pun. Um, who was it? Schumacher was the director of that film? No, no, another Michael. one. I'll give you another one. <laughs> In this universe, there's only one absolute. Everything freezes. <laughs> Is that an absolute? <laughs> no, that's not a good quote. 
they're much better. They're puns. There are good. There are good puns from that movie. The ice to meet you is. If revenge is a dish best served cold, then put on your Sunday finest. Is another one he says. <laughs> Eddie, if you can, what would be your top three Arnold movies? It's tough because I like, I really like Arnold, but I actually don't like that many of his movies. If you see what I mean, like, I like, I'm not a huge, if you can, like it would be impossible impossible or a stretch. Yeah. Somehow difficult for me to name three of his movies. Um, Really? No, no. I'm just, that's what I mean. Where you're like, (laughs) if you can, it's like, um, because it depends then, right? Do I go for iconic? Because like, I don't, I don't like Terminator that much, but then obviously Terminator is, probably his most iconic role what about terminator or predator i go predator all day predator is the better movie terminator is more iconic okay what about kindergarten cop or jingle all the way kindergarten cop jingle all the way great movie division look i'll (laughs) happily we can do like a bracket of arnold schwarzenegger movies and we can dedicate an entire episode like head-to-head knockout seeing which one takes the title I'll do that with you, but haven't yeah, even I, brought up Mister Freeze. <laughs> that's how good he is. That's his range. <laughs> well, also Pumping Iron. I know that's a documentary, but he is amazing in Pumping Iron. Yeah. Every line from that is gold, <laughs> which has been surprising, right? Because sports documentaries, I guess sports for bodybuilding, using it kind of loosely, but sports documentaries have had such a moment during the like pandemic and the lockdown. It's interesting. And I've seen, for example, like the BBC are really promoting sports documentaries at the moment. Like they're pushing hoop dreams um, as saying like, this is a must watch sports documentary. Like if you enjoyed the last dance, watch hoop dreams. Uh, It's interesting that no one's really been talking about, Hey, you should, you should watch pumping iron. But if, hey, if, you're, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen Pumping Iron, then you should go out of your way to watch it this weekend. What about uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies? I maybe have a listened to. Not a to. big. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big Jean-Claude I can Van only Damme. Think, I can only think of Street Fighter. <laughs> I honestly, I don't. I, <laughs> With what is it, Kylie Minogue? <laughs> I don't get the interest in Jean-Claude Van Damme. The only thing that he's ever done that I've thought was reasonably impressive was that Volvo truck, like van truck commercial with the splits. That's the only time when mm-hmm. I've been like, oh, okay, that was kind of cool. What about the cause light adverts? Uh, take them or leave them. Yeah, that's a pretty good summation, actually. Now, you supposedly also had a topic for Sam, Frank, so. Oh, yeah. So I figured this would be better suited for Sam because we know that you are such a picky eater. But I know Sam is such a gourmand. He's a foodie, as the new the new kids call it. I have a trivia question for you, Sam. I'm so I'm so upset by this. <laughs> a look, I'll take it. I'll take it. I've started the rumor that Sam is a is a coronavirus denier. So me being a picky eater is it's not the worst rumor to have going on this podcast. But the fact <laughs> that Sam, Mister KFC bucket order over here, is the one who's getting called a foodie. I ordered a bucket once when I moved in. I no, that is, no that, is. that is the amount of times I've talked a big game but never delivered on the order itself is 
magnifyingly a lot, but I legitimately did it once on the day I moved in and it was glorious. But yeah, I'm hardly a gourmet eater, but Frank, what have you got for me? So here's the trivia question. As of 2019, how many US cities have at least a one Michelin starred restaurant? That's tough. I, I, I actually legitimately didn't think it would go that way, your question. <laughs> um, damn, that's tough. I, I wouldn't even know where to start, so. Stay cool, bird boy. 20? Eddie, do you have a guess? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go like 45. The answer is five. That's it? Oh, dear. Yes. Okay, New this York. Is, this is interesting because, so it's New York, D.C., Chicago, San Fran, and L.A. The reasoning is because they've just recently branched out of outside of France and Europe. And so when they went to the U.S. to do their reviews, they didn't go to actual restaurants. They went to like the big cities where they thought the best restaurants would be. And they chose those five cities only. And originally it was just French restaurants they were reviewing, but now they've kind of opened it up to kind of all types of restaurants. But I thought that was crazy because whenever you think of Michelin star, you think of so many restaurants, but in the U S it's only in those five cities. But since then they've um, the first change they've made is they're doing the whole state of California. That was like a 2020 change. And then I think they're going to start branching out further from there, but that's a pretty good trivia question. 2019, only five cities. Do, do people in the US restauranters care about the Michelin? Is, is it that famous over there? Or do they just think it's tires? I think, no, they know what it is. I, I think it's famous <laughs> by name, but I don't think by like, cause I guess there isn't as much here. So people probably, most people probably haven't been to a Michelin starred restaurant unless you live around one of those cities. Like I'm sure wealthy people in New York city love to brag that they go to Michelin star restaurants in the city. Yeah, for sure. And all my friends in the Bay area, you have people talking about going to uh, some of the Michelin starred restaurants around there. So yeah, it's probably depends where you are. I'm surprised that Tucson doesn't have any Frank. Well, funny you mentioned that Eddie, because they are the first ever UNESCO uh, city of gastronomy. Really? Really? Wow. So how about that's that, Eddie? Didn't expect that to come back your way, did you? That's why <laughs> That's why I decided to leave UNESCO. That's when I lost faith <laughs> in the UN system. Yep. Yeah, because I think they also have the Tucson, they're famous, one of their famous taglines is they have like the best 23 miles of Mexican food in the world or something like that. See, that's, that's like the kind of, the of slogan that doesn't get you. Michelin stars. <laughs> it's really catchy. It rolls but off. But it your gets tongue. you it gets you the first gastronomy city in the world. I don't really get UNESCO's involvement with that. The same people that help like protect uh, a famous kind of um sites of interest or wonders of the world or areas of like environmental concern, they're worried about gastronomy. Like, it's part of their creative me? it's part of their creative cities network do i do i need to explain to you what unesco does here sam i mean no please do <laughs> fundamentally right it's about protecting intangible cultural heritage that is the mission statement of unesco so food and gastronomy would be included in that music gets protected um 
it, it does kind of fall under that overall umbrella. Now, when it comes to protecting or recognizing the gastronomic sort of state of Tucson, that seems unnecessary, but... Uh, I made a minor blip. It was the first in the U.S., not the first ever. Okay. I meant to say U.S., but it was chosen because of its region's rich agricultural heritage, thriving food traditions, and culinary distinctiveness. Now, I guess if they're expanding the Michelin Guide for the, all of California, one person who might be able to take advantage of some of those new Michelin-accredited restaurants might be uh, old Philip Rivers, who will have a little bit more free time on his hands now that he officially announced his retirement from the NFL. Old cranky Philip Rivers. <laughs> Hall of Famer Philip Rivers. I find that unlikely. They, I would... I would enjoy watching a 30 minute like documentary style clip of him just in game commentary of like himself and the plays. He just, some of the shit he says is so funny. I'll never forget the one with the Jaguars defender. Um, I forget his name, uh, but that was like epic. A lot of detail in what you just said there, Frank. That was... It's the one where he throws the 80-yard touchdown pass, and he was like, 80 yards! Woo! And then the guy's like, hey, man, not in my ear. Don't scream in my ear. And he's like, know, but... he's like, stay humble, bro. <laughs> no, I know, but that now makes sense. But for listeners, otherwise, it was like, hey, I remember this really great story from that time with that defender I can't remember. Cool. Keep it vague so it's technically not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, he's going to be, he's a unique personality, should be protected by UNESCO probably. And in that respect, you kind of, you'll miss that because I think there are, you see, you don't see as many real personalities in the NFL anymore, particularly in the quarterback position where they all are becoming a little bit sort of mechanical in their approach, both in terms of their technique which with the exception of a couple of players is becoming more and more similar, but then also in their personalities. So it will be a shame, um, but it was time for him to retire. And I mean, he made the announcement, part of his retirement announcement, and this blew my mind. He said that now he can start focusing on making a family. He already has nine kids. But no family. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> No, I thought he wants to focus on being a high school football coach. That's part of it. So he's going to be a high school football coach. Also assuming he's going to be get a commentator's job. This mm. is the other thing that's expected to happen. And he's going to focus on, I mean, I don't know how many kids he's planning on having, but it must be at least 20 based on that. The real question though, at? Eddie, is he a Hall of Famer? I find that unlikely. No. I have a question about Hall of Famous, by the way, just before, because I know this is hot button for you too. Um, how long till you're considered after you retire? Five years. So in five years time, Rivers has the first run of potentially being a Hall of Famer, right? He becomes eligible. Yeah. Okay. And at so that theoretically point you could, sorry, but theoretically you could maybe not get in for like three or four years, then get in. So is it one of those things where like he was around during the times of like the Brady's, 
Brees, Mannings, etc. So he was always going to play you did it, lower You did fiddle. it to me again, Sam. You did I know, it to me again. and I did it deliberately. It's great. But <laughs> I'll give it to you. All of Manning, those family the Mannings, names. The Mannings, the Mannings is correct. Because there are multiple Mannings. But everything, <laughs> there were no, as far as I know, Tom Brady does not have a brother playing in the NFL. <laughs> so all of those families, they... They're obviously ripe candidates for it. Could could there be so? It sounds like there could be a chance that Rivers could be considered later on as other QBs come through that maybe don't get. You know, say if there's a lull in quality, they could maybe reassess Rivers's quality. Rivers's quality. And yes. Put him in. So, so they do talk about that. So the idea you have you do see players miss out sometimes because they're they're not in, in they're not told to do this, but. Clearly, they're not going to have a year where they nominate only quarterbacks. So you definitely do see, you know, you have players who will openly say they know they weren't going to get a first ballot Hall of Famer because they the year they were coming through is the same year that one of the greatest wide receivers of all time was to be eligible was going to be eligible. So I do think the timing of it might mean so obviously Drew Brees will become eligible at the same time, assuming Brees retires. And there's a chance that Ben Roethlisberger retires. So you'd have the three of them eligible in the same year, potentially. At that case, you'd have to say, even if you think Phil Rivers is a Hall of Famer, he's not going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But you do see guys sometimes who get voted into the Hall of Fame like 30 years after they became eligible. And that did definitely happen in a lot of sports when sabermetrics and statistics became a big thing. And so people started to appreciate what a player was doing in a different way. It's unlikely that people are going to start appreciating what Phil Rivers did in a different way, but I think he'll get in. I just don't think he is a hall of famer. I think if Phil, if if Rivers is a hall of famer, then I think 70% of the current quarterbacks in the NFL will have hall of fame worthy careers. I mean, look, there's more to it than yardage and touchdowns, et cetera. Like Rivers hasn't won the Super Bowl, which is pretty important, but he is fifth in both of those categories for like touchdowns thrown and yardage. I mean, that's above him is Breeze, Brady, Manning, and Favre. So, so uh, is, is, yeah. is that alone a credential winner for Hall of Famer? Or do you well, think, Eddie, just out of interest, is he missing is he missing that ring on his finger? Is that the key here? To me, it's not the Super Bowl win isn't a requirement. But kind of we discussed this before, right? I think, I think if you're going to be a Hall of Famer, there has to be a moment in your career when people legitimately debated if you were the best person in your position in that time period. And ideally, I think you kind of want to be someone who, if you, if someone argued you're the best in that position of all time, it wouldn't be ridiculous. If anyone came out and said, I think Philip Rivers is the greatest quarterback of all time, you'd be like, you're a moron. Is he just the unfortunate bronze medaler during the age of the quarterback that he was in? Not no, even he's, bronze he's, medaler. He's the, compl- he's the complete opposite. He's the fortunate quarterback who got to play in the st- at the start of the massive passing yards era. And so he has racked up an incredible number of yards over his career. That will be but- passed. By a ton of people. But he wasn't fortunate enough to be on a team that won Super Bowls like Eli Manning. For sure. Look, Eli's just lucky. But also, Eli's not... With Eli, it's not just luck, right? It's two of the most iconic throws in the history of the NFL. Like, 
and that matters. The fact, like, I cannot think, just, just this question, Phil Rivers, most iconic play. Think of a Philip Rivers play. I'll give you all day. The one where he threw an 80-yard touchdown and then just screamed in the guy's ear. <laughs> it's going to be a really quiet podcast. You know that. You know the question you're asking. But you know what? Okay, so his most iconic play is a random touchdown against the Jags in a regular season game just because of how he celebrated. And that's yeah. my issue with Rivers is like, I can't remember a playoff moment. I can't even remember a week 16, week 17 moment. I'm sure that there are some that I'm overlooking because obviously he played in the playoffs. and But fundamentally to me like he yes he's fifth now but within 10 or 15 years he probably won't even be in the top 10 yeah so a a great one for me that comes to mind is there's no doubt in my mind Stafford will pass him in those categories is Stafford a hall of famer I find that unlikely I don't think so I mean he's he was an above average QB his entire career that had a great arm through a shit ton of yards and TDs. But again, like Eddie's saying, like he was never the best at that QB position his entire career. And I think the thing with Rivers, one of the big reasons why Rivers is so high in those categories is like Eddie alluded to, he was in the start of like the passing error, like the QB error, but he also played a shit ton of games. He was like never out. I think he has the second longest consecutive game streak behind Brett Favre, you know? So he was playing almost every game in his what 17 seasons he played so just by grinding that out you're going to get that high amount of yards and and touchdowns and things like that i mean he was never never an mvp never close to an mvp i don't think he was even probably like a top three vote for an mvp so how can you put someone in the hall of fame that not only were they not the best at a position for at least one year but weren't even considered to be the top three or five best in the NFL that year. Yeah. And also part of the reason why he has so many yards too, right. Is he played in, he played under a couple of offensive gurus and he played in systems that were also built around having lots of passing yards. And part of that will be because they had him as a weapon. So we can't like downplay the fact that his skills, you know, he's one of those. He's, I feel like we, whoever new comes along, they kind of give them credit. Like even at the weekend, they were talking about Patrick Mahomes and the throwing angles, the sidearm throws, but Rivers was kind of one of the first guys to come along and have unique throwing angles. But I mean, look, if you're looking at the all-time passing yards, Ben Roethlisberger is 3000 yards behind him. So he's one season. If big Ben plays next year, uh, if, it, but it, it's an yeah. Rivers drops to sixth. Matt Ryan is eight thousand yards behind him. So if Matt Ryan plays three more years, he's definitely overtaking him. Now Matt Ryan is a better argument when he retires, because there is yeah. definitely an argument to be made that at a point in his career he was the best QB for at least a season or two. Yeah, I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers is definitely going to overtake him. So we've already dropped him down to like 10th in the all-time passing yards total in within the next few years. We're not even talking, and that's before we even get into the, the fact that obviously, assuming Mahomes has a long career, Mahomes is going to overtake him. You know, a whole host of other guys coming through might overtake him. Who knows? You know, even Lamar Jackson is such an elite throwing quarterback. Even Lamar Jackson might overtake him. Wow, I just realized... 
I just was look at Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan and I have the exact same birthday. He's one year older though. <laughs> wow, you 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 got a year to catch up then on achievements. Who would That's swap so places? Pathetic of what my life is. <laughs> <laughs> Who would swap places? I mean, okay, so you haven't had the NFL career, played in the Super Bowl, won the MVP, but you Not also you also haven't made millions of dollars, but you also haven't blown the biggest lead in the history of the Super Bowl. You haven't made a career uh, last few years out of blowing fourth quarter leads. So maybe he'd swap places with you. You never know. Yeah, I bet he's never crashed an anesthesiologist party. Probably maybe. not. Harder when you're <laughs> harder when you're famous. Yeah, right of passage. So it doesn't sound like you two think he should be, but do you think he will? Yes. Okay. No, I don't think he will. Because really? I think exactly what Eddie said is going to happen is going to happen. Because even by five years from now, he'll be he'll drop from number five to like number seven or eight. And if he doesn't get in that first year or two, he's going to be below the top 10. And then at that point, it's what? He's not even top 10 in any statistical category. Never was first team all pro, never an MVP, never won a Super Bowl. Then he was just a quarterback who played a really long career. And that's great. And, and, and and I mean, like, that's probably his biggest achievement is, is how many games he actually played and grinded out. You know what I mean? Like he obviously played through a lot of injuries and things like that, I'm sure. So there is kind of like in, in, in the hall of fame, there are a lot of players who get credit for that kind of like iron man mentality, but that's not enough to get you in to the hall of fame. I think that's maybe can prop you up a little bit. Like you have some really good stats. And in addition you know, like you had that whole Iron Man never would was gonna sit on the bench or ride a week out, things like that. But that can't get you in. But the one factor we're not considering here, though, is if he does become a commentator, and he does become, if he has a Tony Romo esque start to his career in the booth, and everyone loves him, and everyone thinks what a great guy he is, it could upgrade the perception of his career. Like, for example, mm. people, I, I mean, Tony Robo was a good quarterback and had a good NFL career, but I have no doubt that the general perception now of Tony Romo's career is a lot higher than it was at the moment when Tony Romo retired, if you see what I mean. Yeah. They're Tony Romo, Tony Romo didn't face, have, right? yeah, Tony Romo didn't have the Hall of Fame caliber career. So it, he might make it into the Hall of Fame as for his media work, but like actually as a football uh, player now. That's interesting. Uh, to be in the Hall of Fame, so it's five years, and I'm assuming there has to be, is there any criteria for like contribution to the game or something? Or is it literally just like you were a human being who played in the NFL for X amount of years, therefore I, you can be considered? I don't think there's any specific criteria. People nominate you. I th- oh, okay. Like, I, th- I, I don't know what... I mean, Ro- Romo, Romo can get in for a commentator. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So you can get in even if... Okay, I think that actually helps Rivers. I think... So. I'm almost positive you can get in as a commentator. But you get voted in as a commentator. You don't get voted in as like Tony Romo in the Hall of Fame for playing slash comment. It's like you are in as a commentator. Like he couldn't, he couldn't like pretend Tony Romo, hall of fame quarterback. It's like, no, 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 Tony Romo, hall of fame commentator. 
could he just do like a really little comma? So he could be like Hall of Fame commentator, quarterback. Exactly. (laughs) Here's a good trivia question, Eddie. Where did Tony Romo go to college? Eastern Illinois, I think. Nice. Same same college, I think, as Jimmy Garoppolo. Who? <laughs> that future, future hall of, of fame. <laughs> yeah. I think they went to I think I think Jimmy G went there as well, I think. And what about Philip Rivers? Uh no idea. Uh, NC State. Yeah. The last good one to come out of NC State. But it also leaves Big Ben right currently as the last man standing from the 2004 class of quarterbacks, which is kind of interesting. Standing is is a little strong of a word. <laughs> I mean, barely, barely last kind man, of wobbling. Last man, non, last man non-retired. It's so collapsed. Yeah. <laughs> he was eleven and zero at one point this season. <laughs> like he was, he was, he had a, he was in the MVP discussion at one point. At least that, in our MVP discussion, thanks to me. There was I can a actually give you a discussion about that. Yeah. I can actually give you a really good segue in that, Eddie. When the Steelers went eight and zero, according to five three eights, whatever that like probability of winning versus losing, like games of chance. You've seen that before, right? Where it's like in close games, there's like that chance that you might just win or lose. The Steelers had the highest, uh, like luckiest percentage in the first eight game of the season second most ever in the NFL. And then in the last eight weeks, there's a team in the playoffs that has the luckiest out of the last eight weeks ever with the amount of wins they had versus how much they probably should have. In the playoffs now or that made the playoffs? Still in the playoffs now. Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. We're statistically the luckiest team ever in the second half of the season. Out of is that any your season. segue? Is that your segue into the conference games now? Yep. Can they keep that luck alive? I mean, I mean, the big question first, right? Every all signs are pointing to the fact that Patrick Mahomes will play. He is seemingly the concussion protocol is like a five stage process. I think he's in stage four now. He had light practice today. And so then they ask him, it's complete nonsense, but now they're going to be asking him after he practices, hey, do you feel dizzy? Is your vision okay? And he's going to say, all good. Yeah, never felt better. You know, As he bleeds <laughs> out of the ears. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I just do that sometimes. I just drain my head before big games. So it's a little lighter and I move, move more quickly. But he, he, uh, that was actually dangerously close to a Dane Cook joke, but um, he, uh, you know, like he's obviously going to play. the The only thing that could possibly stop him is the uh, third party impartial doctor not giving him the okay. Do you think? Okay, you know what? Let's quickly go into this game a little bit because there's only two games, right? So we can just chat, but. Do you think that hit and the way Mahomes usually kind of wriggles out the pocket can get extra yards and he can kind of get out of pressure pretty well. Do you think now that fear of another hit and he's sidelined in a conference game will change? Will he stay in the pocket more? 
is kind of my question here against the Bills. Maybe oh. he doesn't run, but honestly, I don't think they need him to. I think that's like a bonus with Mahomes. And I do know that he's the thing he's really good at, right, is on like long third downs and stuff, picking up yards when the like everyone starts to drop deep. If he can buy some time in the pocket and then he kind of like escapes and all of a sudden he's got 10 yards. Like that's where you usually see him get yards. It's not like he's not Lamar Jackson. Like they do have the occasional RPO and stuff, but I think they could fundamentally wipe that from their playbook and it's not an issue. I, I think the issue is what both of you guys are saying, not so much the running, but the, the ability to extend plays and scramble around. Whereas maybe in the back of his mind, he's a little shy about getting hit. And instead of trying to make that extra effort to scramble around, he kind of just takes the sack and falls down. That could be a legitimate concern because a lot of their plays are, you know, him buying extra time and then Kelsey or Hill kind of going off on their own route, seeing he's scrambling and just getting open and hitting like a 30 yard throw downfield. And if he's nervous about that, that could be an issue. But I was reading an article that because they were kind of looking into obviously how was he concussed? And so his spin on it and the chief spin is that he had basically had a pinched nerve you know, whatever their story is that he wasn't really concussed, that they kind of like trapped a nerve and that made him wobbly. <laughs> but he was diagnosed with the concussion. <laughs> well, that's unclear. He went into the concussion protocol, but then, so then the middle ground between those two stories was that he's had a spinal concussion, which is a thing. And the person who suffers pretty regularly from spinal concussions is Sidney Crosby. That's the type of concussion Crosby uh, usually gets. Oh, shit. Yeah. That is not a good sign. <laughs> for context, Sam, that is a one of the greatest hockey players of all time. Currently plays for, the Pittsburgh, Peng- plays for the Pittsburgh Penguins, but has had a career that has been absolutely plagued by... I mean, he sat out an entire season, didn't he? With Because of his concussions? Uh, yeah, he sat out for like... Uh, yeah, like half of a season and then another half of a season, basically. Yeah. I'm assuming that a spinal concussion is like top of the top of yeah, the neck. On your neck, basically. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, it doesn't sound nice. I'll tell you. That's the only thing. Nice. Reading the article about it, it didn't sound nice. Because I got to that article because I was also reading Brett Favre's comments, basically telling Mahomes, don't play. Kind of. He didn't oh. come out and... Was it what we were saying about how think of your career as opposed to think of this game? It wasn't even think of your career. It was think of your life. It was Brett Favre was basically saying, I know this goes against the very way that I played my career because obviously he was like an Iron Man. Nothing stopped him. Probably played games after multiple concussions. But he was basically saying he's 51 now. And his biggest fear in life is the long-term effects from the hits to like the damage he's done to his brain. And so Mahomes should think about that, not be thinking. He said he never was put in the position that Mahomes is in because obviously he was never in like having to consider sitting out in a championship game or, and then potentially even missing a Super Bowl. But that that's what Mahomes should be thinking about. Coming from someone who listens to his one hour spot on the radio at least three times a week. If that's what Mahomes could become, then Mahomes should retire today. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, look, 
Yeah. I mean, great spin from him though, right? Maybe he can blame when he sent that dick pic. Maybe he can he can uh, he can blame CTE for that. But I mean, he's Brett Favre is fundamentally right about all that. But it would stun me if Patrick Mahomes didn't play. Yeah, it's too. Yeah. The decision's too huge, if that makes sense. And I think in the moment versus long term, you're more inclined to go with the instinct of the now rather than the future. So it sounds like he's playing Andy Reid's given the positive signs, but also apparently he took the majority of the plays and drills that they did in that practice as well. So everything points to him playing. The line also points to him playing as well. So uh, both the lines have stayed at three. So our official bookmaker has rule that the line is a field goal which is kind of frustrating i agree with eddie's point a few weeks ago that i feel like tied lines shouldn't be allowed in the yeah, playoff 2.5 or 3.5 and then just because and they especially can know, not three that's that's like, like a clearly like, easy yeah. way that you can like maybe if it's like minus five that's pretty rare to win by five but to win by three has got to be pretty common i think they should just avoid three and seven Every other full or like round number, I'm fine with, but three and seven just bother me a little bit because either obviously over, well, overtime, I guess you could say three, six, or seven, but but yeah, no, those just make it two and a half or three and a half. I mean, obviously, you could buy the extra half a point if you want, um, either way, but just just a little bit annoying. If I was running a bookmaker, I would just say our playoff lines are always going to be two and a half or three and a half. I've got a question. Which one is the bigger offensive matchup? Chiefs, Bills, Bucks, Packers. Chiefs, Bills, just because I think there's less defense in those two games and then that game on those two teams. Like, so there is a there's a scenario statistically, where Packers... they're 1-2 statistically in yards per game in a regular season. Chiefs were 1 at 415, Bills were second at 396. I don't think it will happen, but there is a scenario I could imagine where back, uh, Packers Bucks ends up like twelve nine. Especially if there's bad, especially if there's bad weather. I actually don't know what the weather forecast is for Green Bay. What do you think it's going to be, Eddie? Is it snowing? Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, Brady's maybe wrap up snow, warm. cold and snow. This is one of those fun stats that. Is kind of pointless, but uh, this is the first time that Brady and Rogers have met. I mean, different in the playoffs. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. So I mean, they could have only ever played each other in the Super Bowl. Exactly. But it is interesting for two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, the two of the defining quarterbacks of this era. This is only the fourth time they will have played each other in their career. Two two of those matchups having will have happened this season, and. It just is interesting because, like, when you look back on this, you know, the last twenty years. Like, if if I say to you, like, think of the, you know, two thousands to twenty twenty, like, who were the defining players in the NFL? You definitely name Brady and and Rogers, but up until this game, they've never really played each other in anything resembling a meaningful match. Yeah. So it, it is. A good, it was a good shutout win for them in the regular season, right? For the Bucks. But going back to your question, Frank, I think 
the Bills have been surprisingly good defensively. It's actually defensively is the reason they kind of beat the Ravens and the Colts. Um, bit of luck with the Colts. Whereas the Bucks are a very good defense, like a pass rush defense. So I'd probably say the Bills-Chiefs is the offense game, but because the Bucks are such a... That game is such an offense versus defense idea, whereas the Chiefs-Bills is more like... There's one pretty good defense, there's another okay defense, but two very good offenses. So I'd say I'd say Chiefs Bills is the offensive game. Yeah, Buffalo's defense giving up 13.5 points a game in the playoffs so far. And the Chiefs, I mean, I guess you could say held the Browns under 20, but part of that due to the fact of the fumble on the one yard line probably makes a little bit of a difference there. But although I I, I still think the Chiefs defense played better than I thought they would against the Browns. You know, held them to about, what, 300 yards total, running about 140, 150 yards. Like, it, I thought it could have – I thought it was going to be a lot worse than that. It looked semi-competent. Not anywhere near, like, a top 10, obviously, but not a bottom five defense like I thought they were going to do. Yeah, I don't know if I expect them to be bottom five, but they were decent. It's so hard to read into it because the situation in the game, right, changes everything. So it wasn't a shootout. So the Browns played the game different offensively than they might have in other circumstances. They look fine. I don't think Brady and and Rodgers would be afraid of playing the Chiefs defense in the Super Bowl. I don't think Allen will be afraid of going up against it now. Yeah. But you know when the Chiefs defense did play well? when they last played the Bills, held them to 17 points. And one of Allen's worst worst performances, probably. And that's the, I mean, we talked about it last week, right? The, the whole thing with the Bills, the sample size for them being elite this year is relatively small. And the sample size for Allen being elite is small. So if you are, conf- like anyone who's confident in the Bills winning this weekend they are betting on the fact that what they've seen over the past like six or seven weeks is the real version of the Bills and that their defense isn't going to revert to the defense that it was early in the season, in which case the Chiefs could have five to 600 yards easily and that the and that Josh Allen isn't going to revert to what he was kind of last year or even at moments earlier in the season. So I think this in game in a way is kind of interesting because there's question marks on both sides. Like there's a big question marks over, over how healthy Mahomes will be and how that will impact the chiefs. And then you've just got the the question mark of which version of the bills do you believe in? I mean, interestingly enough, the chiefs against the Colts and Ravens have been outscored offensively by over 200 yards combined. So it's kind of defense has been getting them through not uncharacteristic because like you said, they've been a bit, they were Jekyll and Hyde with defense this season, but Interesting that what has been their main weapon, which is just raw offensive yardage, has actually been a slightly poorer point into their playoff for the last two games. It's such a, sa- a small sample size, right? Playoff games, yeah. it's so difficult to... And again, it's it's contextual. So, you know, like there's moments where you just kind of shut down to see the game out. Um and I mean, the weather in that last game was obviously an issue. So it was helping the yeah, defenses yeah. tremendously. Yeah. But 
tell you what, what's our situation with our picks in the playoffs at the moment? Because I don't think we went through it. So it'd be interesting to know from last week, because this is, we're in the, we're in Endgame now, to quote a famous film. Yeah, three games left. We don't even have the possibility this year of throwing the Pro Bowl in as like an added game to try and save oh us in the postseason. <laughs> so we don't even have that. It's just down to three, and it is very much Sam's to lose. Uh, the situation last week, we all did okay. Uh, I went three and one, three and one. So three and one picking the winners, three and one against the spread. The only game I got wrong was Ravens both ways. Sam, you went three and one and three and one. Only game you got wrong, Saints both ways. And Frank, you went three and one picking the winners. You picked the Saints and you went two and two against the spread because you picked the Chiefs to cover and the Saints to cover, which means our overall standing, picking the winners is very close. Frank and Sam, you are both eight and two. I am seven and three. So anyone could win that with three games left conceivably. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, to have, because they haven't been easy matchups. No. So um, yeah, that is pretty good. And then against the spread, Sam, you are in the lead. You are seven and three against the spread in the playoffs. Frank, you and I are both five and five. Lead of two with three games. Full tactical here. Just listen to you guys. Well, yeah, you could go well, tactical in, in the don't. playoffs. We all know it's, in the playoffs how much you win by doesn't matter as long as you win. So all that matters is the straight picks. <laughs> now I'm just going to throw out here: the tiebreaker will be the regular season <laughs> if I catch up. No, no, the tiebreaker will be the closest <laughs> score in the Super Bowl. <laughs> okay, all right, Super Bowl prediction. Fine. I'm fine with that. Yeah. It gives you a chance to come back from the brink. But um, from the brink, yeah. Oh, okay. You're not close to suicide. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm only one behind. To be honest with you, the against the spread is good. I think the true champion is the, and I'm not just saying this because uh, I have a better chance. No, I just said this. it. I think it's money line. In the playoffs, it yeah. doesn't matter how much you win by, it's that you win. So, money line is all that matters. Yeah, in the good playoffs. thing I'm winning both then. No, no, exactly. And I'm losing both. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not saying I obviously have a better chance because I'm only one behind in the money line. Yeah. Although I will say this, it's much more likely that someone goes 0-3 in the remaining games against the yeah. spread. Two close Because, you know, even the Super Bowl, right? Depending on the matchup, you're probably going to see a three to five point Super Bowl favorite. So you could get all the money line right and lose, lose on the spread. You but think three to five points? I legitimately see this being like a one one to two point style. Super it depends Bowl. who it is. I think if it's Chiefs Bucks, I think the Chiefs would be. It also depends how well these all the teams play this weekend, right? If the Chiefs destroy the Bills and the Bucks squeak by the Packers, I think the Chiefs will be five to six point favorites. If it's Chiefs Packers, I think three points. If it's Chiefs is three-point favorites. And if it's Bills, Packers, that might be a pick'em. Okay. Wait. Okay. I don't think so, but I think Packers would be favored in that scenario. But it, it to me, it, it obviously, I mean, really? Because the, the Bills will have just beaten the Chiefs. I mean, if the Packers post another 500 yards against the Bucks as they do, yeah, I can see that. But the Packers are co-Super Bowl favorites right now. 
Right. But the reason why they'll be co-favorites is because they are more likely to make it to the Super Bowl. If you see what I mean. So the odds have to be shorter on the Packers because they are yeah. favorites in this game. So like is the that Bills. True? Yes. Oh, wait. It, co-favorites part of it with the Chiefs because, okay, yeah. so they're co-favorites with the Chiefs because they're both three-point favorites. Therefore, according to the bookies, most likely, therefore, the, those two teams is the Super Bowl game. Yes. Hence why they're co-favorites. Go yeah. Ahead. So the Bills, you are taking them to be an underdog in at least one game if you're saying they're going to win the Super Bowl. So obviously their odds are going to be longer than the Packers or the Chiefs. But I maybe think... instead of instead of debating hypothetical spreads, why don't we actually pick our winners first? Well, hey, I think that's interesting though. I think I actually think that fundamentally the AFC and there is, I guess we could look at that line because there is the AFC versus NFC line that they do. The way they you don't even know the teams. You can just take like the AFC minus two in the Super Bowl. Um I think the AFC team will be favorite no matter what would be my guess. I think the Bills would be favorite against either of those sides because they will have beaten the Chiefs and people will then talk themselves into the Bills being the real deal. I mean, we can go into the picks. Your rhetoric strikes me as picking the Chiefs because of the way you're talking about oh, the I'm Bills. Not, look, I, I, I can swing, I what, this, I can swing this. this anyway. Yeah, let's do this differently. So I'll tell you what, we're going to have, let's have a chat about the game and then we're just going to pick at the end of the chat rather than going like Eddie commentary, Frank commentary. Oh no, commentary. if you want to get serious enough, then write it down. And so you have to commit now before you hear someone. You got to like make your note, write your two picks down. And then we can just make our, we can still do our discussion, but we will have kind of made our commitment to who we're picking before the other one said anything. Good thing I have a whole stack of post-its here so I can write down every possibility and then I can pick whatever one benefits me the most at the end. Okay, David Blaine. <laughs> <Just like. laughs> oh, Eddie, that'll end with me going, Eddie, you want my picks? Look underneath the lamp behind you. <laughs> Yeah, And that would be amazing if I had the foresight to put a post-it note under your lamp with two teams on it that eight months, no, actually be more than that now since I've been, actually I've never been to that apartment. That would be way more that would be. You left it for someone else you knew in the apartment. <laughs> I mean, well, I'll say this. I did have that lamp in my previous apartment, but I have moved that lamp. If you had that, it would be a legitimate miracle. We discussed the other day, how long would you have to live in order to think that you were immortal? I would have to start considering the real possibility that you had magical powers, but that you totally wasted them. You can imagine somehow with Frank where he'd do this incredible thing, but one of them would be crossed out for another team and he got it wrong. <laughs> like that would be the kind of... All right. My picks are down. I'm locked. I'm locked. Locked. I'm Eddie. so torn. I'm so torn on one of the games. If, I, if you show up your note and I see like eight scribbles on the previous pages, I know what's happened. So wow, torn. you are to the final whistle. I'm so torn on one of these games. Like legitimately, I'm so torn on it. Uh, well, right, while Eddie's deciding, I'll I'll just give some facts yeah. I saw about the Bucks Packers. Yeah. We can start with. Whilst Eddie's singing Natalie and Brulia torn to us. We can... <laughs> so... 
Rodgers and Brady have combined to start 551 games. That's just insane to me to think about when it's a 16-game season, how long they've been in the league and how successful they've been. I thought that was just a, a cool stat. There's like a bazillion stats about Brady in the postseason that have been circulating all over like the news. So, I mean, all of those are obviously crazy with how how many times he's made it to the championship game, how many times he's won that championship game. Nine, I mean, nine out of the 10 last years. Yeah. The only year insane. he's missed out in the past decade was the last year. They were it's giving only. it like compared as a percentage, like it's better than the greatest three free throw shooters percentage and things like that. You know, like it's, it's crazy. Um, they did face each other this year, which Eddie alluded to is rare because they've only faced each other three times before or three times total. This will be the fourth. Um, and the bucks did win that pretty decisively 38 to 10. And in that game, if I remember correctly, Rogers had two interceptions and got sacked like at least five times. So the Bucks defense was able to get to him, but you can argue that maybe the Packers weren't at a hundred percent. I've made, I've, I've, I've written down my picks by the way. Okay. Have, okay. have you written like, have you got on like across two pages, like all the different permutations you can have? It's, no, no, it's a, it's in a notebook. It's the top page. It's a notebook of post-it notes. I have scratched a team out, but it's very clearly scratched out because I wrote two teams. I wrote both teams down just to see which one I wanted to scratch out more. And I have made that call. Okay. Yeah, Frank, I'm, that's a flash in the pan game for the Packers, right? You can't say post that they have been anywhere near that kind of poor level. And also, like, the thing that got them was the Bucks' pass rush in that game. They really got shut out. Um, they put loads of pressure on him, and they made sure that Rodgers had to go into awkward throws. I don't think that's happening this time around. Um, interesting stat, though. Packers are 11-4 and against the spread in their last 15 games versus teams with a winning record. I think that's always an encouraging one, especially when we go into the Chiefs and their recent record against the spread. But um, then I'm just going to say that I think that could be a little bit misleading, though, because they would have played teams. The nature of their division is that they would have played teams that really weren't that good with winning records quite frequently. Okay, fine. But no, last, I'm just. Uh, yeah, won the, won the last seven games in a row, averaging 33 points a game. I imagine quite a few of those games might have been teams against a winning record. I don't know. I haven't looked at the full games, but they look good. The Green Bay look really, really good here. Um, and coupling that, like, look, you're, you're coupling a guy that just threw just under 500 yards against a Rams defense. Um, I know Eddie's mentioned about the legitimacy of that Rams defense against really good teams or Super Bowl credential teams, but Rogers is hot at the moment. He is just that team. I tell you, look, all right, the, the Sam. All right, let's not talk about humming and Aaron Rodgers, but but like, let's uh, <laughs> don't get yourself too excited, Sam. <laughs> yeah, take a drink of that water. You need to cool down. But humming, purring, you can use whatever you want. You want. I'm sure you'd hum that on part of him. That but, team is cooking. There you go. <laughs> all right, let's because we obviously know who you're picking in that game. Should Maybe. we just make? Maybe. Should we make our? I've made points for the Packers, for the Bucks. Then my my decision. I don't think you made any points for the Bucks there, but they're coming. <laughs> they're coming. Okay, but how about we make our picks and then we can explain how we got there. 
So okay. who wants to go first, even if we have it written down just who your team so is? So you just want my pick or you want my pick and my reason? First, just your picks, and then we can go into our reasoning. I took the Bucks. Okay, I took the Bucks. I took the Packers. I find that unlikely. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. <laughs> you were humming all over Aaron Rodgers and, and now you've got a picture. Hey, I've got, I've got stats in front of me about Brady's postseason record, all that kind of stuff. But All right, and hold on. And now for the Chiefs-Bills, or Bills-Chiefs, I guess. Who will go reverse order. So, Sam, who do you go for? Bills. I find that unlikely. I went Chiefs. Chiefs. Oh, okay. this could be good. I could legitimately lose the playoffs. <laughs> like or I win could, or win. I, this is well, it. I'm up by you win two. or lose. I'm right up here. by two. I just need you one. win or lose. I just need uh, one. I think. Yeah. So no money line. You're up one. Money line. You're tied with Frank, and up yeah. one. So money. So line, you win or lose on this. I'm genuinely yeah, you, surprised it's gone this way. This this either you win money line this weekend. Or it's me and Frank in the money line because I would be one behind Frank. So I would still have a chance. And then in the uh, against the spread, either we are tied, all tied in the Super Bowl, or you've won it. I I mean, Adam and Eve. I can't Adam and Eve that we are. Or there are other, obviously, there's the permutation that you're right on one and wrong wrong on the other, in which case that won't happen. Like in which case is it still? Either you got them all right, or you got them all lost. (laughs) So maybe the Chiefs win and the Packers win, and it's technically all still to play for going into the Super Bowl. But interesting. I don't know if I like the. I don't know if I like that I have the same picks as Frank. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, read into that what you will. (laughs) So show your workings, guys. Uh, Why the Bucks? Yeah. So for for me, it was tough. And part of this, again, I keep going back to this and I hate it, but I'm as great as the Packers look this year, just something about who they're playing turns me off of the fact that they're as good as their 13 and three record is. I mean, you could just go through some of their regular season wins, you know, Texans, Niners, Jaguars, Bears, Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Bears, Vikings, Lions. I, I mean, they beat the Saints early in the year. They beat the Titans late in the year. Those are probably their two best wins. Lost to the Colts, lost to the Bucks. You, you know, I, I, I think they can be beaten, and I think the Bucks know how to beat them. And an argument can be made that yeah, maybe the Packers weren't on all six cylinders when they faced the Bucks, but neither were the Bucks. I mean, you're looking at a Bucks offense that's picked up substantially in the past four or five weeks. And I think there's something to that as well. And I think the Bucks defense has picked up in the past four or five weeks. So I think their defense knows how to get to Rodgers and make them agitated, uh, you know, hitting them early, hitting them often. I think that's going to happen again. And I think the, I think it's going to come down probably to who has the ball last. And I think that'll be Brady. And I think he's going to win. I agree with you there. I mean, my big reasoning is how good this Tampa Bay rush um, run stopping defense is. And I think they'll be able to stop the Packers from running the ball. And I think what might fool people is they'll think that the Packers could run the ball on the Rams, but actually the weakness of the Rams defense was stopping the run. And 
I think that what that's going to allow the Bucks to do is to turn this into a one-dimensional game. And I think that's going to allow them to just try and get after Rodgers, try and cover receivers. And I think, whereas I think on the other other side of the coin, I think the Bucks will be able to adapt to whatever they need to kind of try and pick apart the Packers' defense. So this is the game I was hesitating, hesitating over more than the Chiefs-Bills game. But I actually kind of really like the Bucks. I also, as we said separately, like I because we have a, a chat, a group chat going on that I mean that from our university housemates. As I said to Jake, the thing about the Packers is the Packers always look really good until they don't. And like this Aaron, which sounds I know really obvious, but Aaron Rodgers and this Packers team have made a career out of being really, really good. And then all of a sudden season's over and those seven, eight games in a row of looking amazing turned into one really horrific playoff performance. And so in a sense, it's not because Tom Brady has been there so many times and has the playoff pedigree. It's just more, I think I trust more the all round game of the bucks over the all round game of the Packers. Yeah. And, and real quick before Sam tells us why he, things were wrong the other point to touch on i think about the rams defense not being able to stop the packers is one component of a good defense is having a good offense and having an offense that can run the clock down give your defense some rest and also put pressure on the other team's offense to need to score to have to have good drives when you have a rams offense that one goes three and out and two can't take a nice lead then you know you're putting so much pressure on your defense to have to stop every time and not putting the pressure on the packers to say we need to score this drive or we're going to go down two touchdowns and the bucks have that where the rams don't so even if the bucks defense isn't as good as the rams which i actually think it is their offense makes their defense look a lot better and they're going to put that pressure on the packers offense to have to score Alrighty, i mean look they're both three-point games. It's tight. There's going to be some really close... Uh, there's going to be some game-winning moments, game-defining moments that change all this, so fair enough. But look, for me, Green Bay are a team with just a huge amount of momentum with them at the moment, and I do think that counts for something. Like I mentioned, they've won their last seven. Averaging Sam, over- just going to oh, stop you you're here. already stopping me right here. Momentum okay. does not exist in football. Go and read Bill Barnwell. Don't even come at me talking about momentum. I'm not coming at you. <laughs> that was more of a thing for Frank. I gotcha. Okay. I mean, they're averaging 33 points a game, but something I do like about the the Packers is that they are quick starters. Uh, so they lead the NFL uh, for first half points, uh, scoring just under 19 on average in the first half. I think that really counts for something. And look, the important thing for the Packers in this game is that they set up their run uh, with Aaron Jones. Um uh, that will keep their game a bit more multi-dimensional. If if the Bucks shut it down, uh, Rogers may have a problem because it's going to become a bit obvious what they're going to be doing. So I think it's important that they set up their run game. Uh, they set it up really quickly, and it also goes well. But look, everything else combined with that, their red zone conversion is really good. 
um, they come out of there with a touchdown 80% of the time. Um, I'm really happy with those stats. And to be fair, just flipping it the other way, I need to see a lot more from Brady than in that Saints game. Uh, he needs to step up. And this is going to be a much harder game, in my opinion, for Brady. So that's why I'm taking the Packers. I'm a bit surprised you two took the Bucks. Didn't you see where he tried to high-five the official, though? That was Tom Brady getting his swagger back. That's what you should be worried about. Nothing says Tom Brady like a like missed high-five. <laughs> <laughs> Good game, though. That's the first one, right? That's Saturday at 3.05 local time? No, they're both on Sunday. Oh, that's Sunday, sorry. Okay. But yeah, yeah. they alternate who plays later. AFC or NFC, and this year it's the turn of the NFC to play first. Alrighty, good game for sure. No one mentioned the weather, which is quite a nice one for not talking about the weather with Lambo, but might have a factor into it, right? I don't know who the weather helps or hurts. That's why I didn't really mention it, because I think you could spin it either way. People do say the Packers are more accustomed to it, but then at the same time, the... Bucks seem like they would be pretty well suited to a kind of ground and pound approach on both sides. So I don't know who it helps. And, and Brady played in New England, so he's used to it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So next up, I guess Chiefs Bills. Uh, I'm the under. I'm well. I am the underdog in this one, both in terms of who I've picked, but also in here. Um, I'll go first. So I looked at the spreads for the last. Ten, um, well. 10 games, nine games. Uh, the Bills are 10 and 1 against the spread, and the Chiefs are 1 and 8 against the spread in their last nine games. And I was, it, it was interesting looking at the betting with this one because the line has kind of changed massively with Mahomes, but also then how I think it opened up originally at about four and a half, quickly went in, then swapped because of Mahomes, and now has kind of settled on the three. Uh, Vegas were coming out saying that a lot of people are just abandoning the Chiefs at the moment just because of that failure to adhere to any sort of spread help that they're getting going into the weeds a little bit more like the chiefs interestingly in the first half of the regular season were averaging 32 second half averaging 26 27 uh, 26.9 so 27 but that against the spreads interesting because in the same level of games they've allowed 25.2 average for their opponents. And I just feel like if you keep teams hanging around, it's going to be bad. And at some point you'll hit a team that will punish you for that one. So uh, we've spoken about this a few weeks ago. I raised it about four or five weeks ago, but the chiefs aren't so great when it comes to touchdown conversion rates in the end zone. And what's interesting, uh, sorry, in the red zone, in the red zone, what's interesting is in the last eight red zone drives for the bills, they've only given up two, touchdowns so i think that red zone defense is good and i think that will be a problem for a kansas team that doesn't notoriously score that quickly or, or that often when it comes to the red zone visits so look it's a toss-up i think you know what no it's i don't think the chiefs are the better team i think the bills in this game will be the better team so i've picked the chiefs on that reason I mean, in many ways, the Bills might be the sensible pick in that you're gambling. Like, if there's such a big question mark over Patrick Mahomes and his fitness that the Bills might be the safer choice. Uh, You're kind of rolling the dice. Well, Frank and I are rolling the dice when it comes to having faith in Mahomes and 
this one to me, unlike in the other one where there's no question of pedigree, there's no question of experience on like, I can't fault either side. Cause you know, that they've got, you know, each have kind of bundles of it here. I want to see the bills do it before I believe in them. That kind of is what it came down to as to, because obviously I have a lot of faith in the bills. I think they're a really good team. I think Allen is great. I think they've got great offensive weapons. I think their defense can step up a bit, but fundamentally it came down to me thinking it's still the bills and it's still Josh Allen up against the reigning Super Bowl champions. One of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. One of the greatest offenses of all time. And I just think also I got to say is like the, that chiefs fan base made a lot of noise in that game for not that many people being there. I think that helps. I think for offenses that won't like the bills won't have played a tough road game with noise this year. And I think that that's a factor where suddenly you've been playing all year, knowing having the comfort of being able to communicate well in all situations. And suddenly now being in the biggest moment of your season and communication might become an issue. That's one of the other like X factors that I threw in that increased my confidence in the chiefs, but none of it's statistical. It's just really, I think it's pretty close to a coin toss and I'd rather take the team that's been there and done it. Yeah. Pretty, pretty similar reasoning for me, I guess. I don't have as much statistics to go by. I mean, the chiefs did beat them when they met this year, but I think the bills weren't as good then as they are now, especially with the Allen to Diggs connection, they were kind of just starting to feel each other out a little bit. So the bills are good. I mean, there's no way around it. They're a great team, but I'm kind of going to go the same, but the opposite in, in Eddie's reasoning, where for me, it's not so much seeing what the bills can do first before I trust them. I think it's me just seeing the chiefs are, arguably one of the most dominant teams of the past two years. I mean, even the year before they won the Super Bowl, they lost in the AFC championship to the Patriots in overtime, and they probably should have won that game too. So this could be this, you know, this could be one of the better teams we're seeing in a dynasty era. So for me, it's more to the fact that I have the ultimate confidence in them until they prove otherwise and prove more than just us saying, uh, their defense isn't looking as good as it used to, or their offense, uh, they look a little shaky. You know, I want to see a definitive decline before I go against them. So I can't go against the Chiefs. I can't go against Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill. You know, their team is stacked. And Andy Reid is on fire for being a coach right now. And yeah, I'll stick with them. Which game do you think you're more likely to lose? Which team? I guess you both picked the same one, so. Bucks. Bucks. For me, it's Bucks, so. I, I feel pretty confident about both, really, even though I shouldn't, but if you told me I had to bet my life on one of these four teams winning this weekend, I'm taking the Chiefs. I wouldn't love it, but I would be taking the Chiefs initial indicators then so you're going for a bucks chiefs super bowl i mean not initial indicators yeah i've made that who, pick <laughs> who 
don't get smart with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like I haven't been, I haven't been like leaving clues around the place and hoping you'd figure it out. I literally said Bucks and Chiefs. Oh, I thought you were going to go to like a Frank moment as far as like, Sam, check under your Xbox. And there's a note there that says like Bucks, Chiefs, Super Bowl. <laughs> so no, no uh, Sam, if you're listening to this right now, rewind it about 15 minutes and listen. And I say, Listen backwards. Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Listen backwards. You've given the whole thing backwards. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's the Simpsons? It's like even at Niage, like the join the Navy one that they've got. That's good. So who wins the Bucks Chiefs Super Bowl? I don't want to make my pick. Oh, okay. Okay. Because there's well, a scenario. Won't, I won't make a pick, but what I will say is Eddie has now gone against the Bills the past two weeks. So if the Bills make it, I don't want to hear any freaking thing about how he picked the Bills to make the Super Bowl after he went against them the last two weeks. Doesn't matter. You can't do that. And part of me thinks this is why you're not picking the Bills these past two weeks, because you know it's a win-win for you. Because you pick the Chiefs, you're right. But if if the Bills win, hey, I picked them to be in the Super Bowl, didn't I? Even though I picked against them the past two weeks. There it is. Yogi Bear comes out again. (laughs) That's the quality of making really good preseason picks yeah all right max kellerman yeah no exactly do you, you do you want me to add my yogi bear in it that's why i put the bills in my picnic basket <laughs> <laughs> no it's so okay you won't pick no i mean i just think there's only you know like there's it's not like we're dealing with an infinite number of potential outcomes here right so I'd rather save that a because it allows me to make my points in the episode when we make that prediction and also b it doesn't allow you if this is still all three of us in with a chance I don't uh you know I don't tip my cards before I before I make my pick genuinely did not see me going the other way on the Packers to you two I thought that was honestly oh, Eddie, gonna be like on. a bit of a Eddie, come like... on. <laughs> we all knew you were taking the Packers. So, Eddie. We had some Premier League games, Frank as well, if you saw this. We had some Premier League games at the weekend and over the past few days. VAR and offside has come back again. And I want your input on the Man City goal that Silver scored because of the offside. So um, I don't know if, Frank, you've seen this, but um, obviously... Not only have I seen it, I've seen Jack Grealish's response. He was not happy. Oh, really? He says he still doesn't... He said something along the lines of, like, I just don't understand the offside rule and maybe someone needs to explain it better. So I, I'm, I'm assuming he's alluding to the fact that he thinks it was the wrong call. <laughs> so the law, he's wrong. Actually, it is correct that the goal should have stood because essentially what happened was uh, a, a long ball kind of uh, got lofted in from the defense. And um, I think it was Tyrone Minks was the uh, Tyrone defender. Tyrone Minks was the defender, yeah. So... 
Man City player was behind him by about 10 yards in what would have been under old-fashioned senses offside because the ball is played in the general direction of that person and they would have been flagged potentially for offside. I'm just saying really, potentially. Really old-fashioned you're going yeah. here. No, but I do – people are talking about it as if, like, if it hadn't been for VAR, like in a pre-VAR era, this would have been offside. This wouldn't have been considered offside for almost generations of footballers. Until he got involved, yeah. So that would have been the more modern style, as if he had then run back and tried to get to Mings. So what happened was Mings chested the ball down, and then um, the Man City player from about a good five to ten yards back, five yards probably, um, ran at him from behind, took the ball, and then Man City then went on the attack and scored. Now, obviously, most people are saying, well, he's interfered with play from an offside position, therefore he's offside. But the law states that if the defender has deliberately played the ball, then the offside position that the player was in is essentially nulled. So he's allowed to then come from an offside position, a miles offside position, and tackle the player from behind. I think it's dumb. Because what you're doing is essentially adding this weird dimension to the game where you can have strikers standing behind players and defenders are now going to have to have this really dumb choice of but why if now? I leave the ball, if I leave the ball and don't play it, he's offside and he can't touch it. But if I legitimately try to do my defending, which is chest the ball and going to do what Mings was doing, I have to somehow look behind me before I make this play. Because aware. there could be a player stood there. You have to know where, I mean, we're bailing out bad defending. Like my opinion on, I go back, I think it was, it was either Brian Clough or one of those. And I think I've said it on a previous podcast. I can't remember which of the kind of, and it may even be falsely attributed to whatever kind of iconic quotable manager it was, but who said, if he's not interfering, what's he doing on the pitch? That there's an element of that, that, um, but what Mings did was terrible defending. The fact that he just had a lack of awareness of any player in, in his vicinity and didn't consider the fact Tyrone Mings should have known that there was a player. If Tyrone Mings had stuck his arm up for offside, the moment the ball was headed in his direction to try and appeal as if look, Rodri's offside and then had left it, I would have been, and then had touched it. And then Rodri had taken it from him. I would have been sympathetic if I thought that him thinking that Rodri was not able to interfere with play at that moment is the reason it had kind of ruled him out as an active player, but he didn't. He just took the ball, was totally unaware that Rodri was in the area. It, to me, it's, it's just really poor defending. I don't see under the interpretation of the offside law that we've had for the past, you know, decades, we had so many worse, you know, we had, I'm always sympathetic when it's things like, say, when we go back to the Manchester City Lyon game in the Champions League semi final, where players let the ball run through his legs in an offside position. Their defenders have factored in this attacking player is offside. We can stop or we've played him offside. Here, it's just a defender just having a moment of madness almost and, and, and hoping then that he could get bailed out by, by the offside ball. Do you think that's like no one knows that rule until it was just explained? None of the players, the managers, they've all said that no one knows that rule. You know who obviously knew that rule? Rodri. 
well, are you sure? Or was he just trying for it? Because that's what anyone would do in an offside position. Like if I, you knew you were three or four yards off, you wouldn't just be like, oh, I'm offside. So I'm going to I mean, stop. I know play till the whistle. He, I know. He was opportunistic. If they didn't know that law, then I don't know how, then they need to rethink how they're preparing preseason, how they're getting up to date on laws, because that's not a new law. It's not a new interpretation. For example, I can even think back to last year, PSG played against, uh, I want to say it was Monaco or I think it was Monaco. And in the, in the final five or 10 minutes, a ball was played into the box with a Monaco player clearly offside a PSG player took, stuck out a foot and intentionally made contact with the ball, at which moment in time he has then played any offside players. He has taken possession, theoretically, and, and everyone is now onside. Not that onside kind of exists, but every player is not offside now. Um, and, I mean, if I, as just someone watching football on a regular basis, is seeing those examples and seeing this interpretation being applied in different places and that was a more controversial one because there the the psg defender didn't even take possession he literally stuck out a foot and it brushed off of his foot and deflected into the direction of the attacking player so you can't even say well, like mings legitimately had possession of the ball the question i'd ask for you then is like how long does rodri have to re-establish himself in an onside position he just steps back in then he can tackle him it would be like one of those situations where when the ball goes forward, the player just walks on so like to then come back off. Because yeah. what you're almost advocating is like a rugby style interpretation of the offside law that the referee would shout sort of like number seven, you're offside. Yeah. You reestablish yourself now. Okay. Now you're good. Well, that's not, that's not for the referee. That's for the linesman to do. So he wouldn't shout it. I'm not talking about but that. You, kind of thing. You are, but, but he would legitimately be like, I'm going to see how this plays out and then judge it because of the actions that have just taken place. Like, that's my point. Oh, the, one of the points you raised that was kind of an interesting one is how the deliberate aspect comes into it. Because, you know, as I've mentioned, by the letter of the law, Tyrone Mings has played the ball deliberately, therefore. And know, touched it several times. On. Yes, and therefore Rodri's onside and that's fine. What's interesting is those moments where I've seen it with VAR where like because it clips a person's knee, they've then said that that counts as not offside. But yet that's under the same rule as the deliberate. So Look, but that's the thing is there are interpretations. As I said, that PSG, I'm pretty sure it was Monaco almost a year ago because it was, it was right around this time. So I would say it's almost exactly a year ago. Um, that to me is a questionable interpretation and should be looked into. But in the instance of Tyrone Minks, where he has taken possession of the ball, the question would be how Rodri has to run in front of him to run back. All of Rodri has to be in an onside position before he can challenge him. Can Tyrone Minks effectively keep Rodri as an sort of inactive player for the remainder of the match, conceivably, if he, obviously, once he went into his own half... Rodri would be on side again, but like he could just sort of stay in front of Rodri and Rodri with the ball and Rodri would never, you know what I mean? Like the only way to interpret it is, well, you can't be offside once the ball is, is in the possession of an opposition team. So obviously he's on side now. I, I mean, to be honest, my, my anger at this is more just about the inconsistency of VAR that, you know, they don't look I, the referee said to, um, can never remember the manager's name, but he said to him, like, I didn't 
I didn't consult because I didn't need to kind of thing, but he didn't mention that that was the interpretation. He just said, I thought it was fine. Therefore I didn't check, but that's not what it should be. The, the idea should be that if there is something questionable that's happened, but there isn't, check. there but, isn't anything questionable. No, but if there's anything doubtful, like but there isn't, you could say there is, because if the ball has been played and Rodri makes a movement deliberately towards the ball, then no, you can say not... that he's in play, which is offside. But that's not that's not even how the interpretation of whether no, or not but, you're active is, is, my, is applied. But my point is that's still questionable. It's not though. But but my general issue the, is the, the only inconsistencies people, with the there's use no of inco- but, but Sam, the only people who are saying this are questionable are people are Aston Villa players and supporters. Like this is it. You don't need to go to VAR unless we get into a review system. We don't get to go into VAR because Mings has raised his hand. I'm not wasting five minutes of my life every game because if we do that, literally every goal is questionable because someone's going to be able to say like, look, he pushed me in the back a little bit there or look, maybe that was offside in the buildup or look, and we, we may as well just, everything has to be consistent. Everything has to be reviewed always. And we don't want Some to be in it, that world. A lot of it is actually already, most goals are reviewed anyway. All goals are reviewed, but they're not reviewed for bit things in the buildup like that. But it was a correct interpretation of the law. So, but they're reviewed for like handball, like 10 phases in play before but a goal. I don't they're understand reviewed. this. You wish it had been reviewed so that the review had reinforced what the referee had said on, done on the pitch. That would have, that would have pacified you. No, no, no. Look, look. My frustration is with the inter- with the implementation of the technology and the offside rule more generally. It has become too muddied and minor infringements. So literally, like someone's shoulder blade has put them offside. Therefore, they're offside. I'm just not a fan of the direction and the rabbit hole that VAR or rules surrounding offside have led to with technology coming in with an already massively, uh, what would you call it, kind of like a convoluted offside levels of interpretation. That's my frustration with it. And this is just yet another example of something. Explain to me how they fix, no, okay, let's fix, I don't want, let's not go into like a million different examples of the offside law. In this particular instance, you, you, so you think Rodri should have been flagged for offside? Yes, because I think that the ball played to him was intentionally for him. You think the ball was played to him? Intentionally, yeah. It was played in that direction intentionally for him, and he stood in an offside position. Okay, and at which point would he be able to reestablish himself as onside? When he comes back onside. He came back onside. But it would have been flagged for offside. So that that's kind of a, a, a relevant point of thoughts. So the, but, the play I'm would asking have stopped you, dead. I'm, but, I'm but the play you. would have stopped dead for the offside foul, and therefore that's irrelevant. So the play should have, even though the ball was fifteen yards away from him, he should have, the play should stop then. So he's he's interfering with play fifteen yards off play. But so it's all, de- but it is intended for him. How do you know that? Well, I don't. But that's that's where the ball was You're going. Assuming. So, no, the ball kind of just was cleared in the general direction away from City's defensive area. Just a long ball up, like just headed miles in the air. Why? How do you know? Say, how do you know? Have. How do you know? Given this situation, it is how do you know it was intended for him and not over hit pass for Gabriel Jesus, who was an equal distance away from the ball? 
Okay, then I'll say that about crosses, for example. Okay, so no, but far post was I, I, no, 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 no. I want no, Sam, Sam. I want to discuss this incident. We can't fix all of them. Explain to me how. I'm just asking you. You so that ball gets played. It should immediately be blown dead. Rodri's offside. The ball is gone forward, and Rodri is in offside position, so it is offside. Yeah, I think that's a fairly Okay, Absolute so now assume. Implementing it, so yeah. now assume. Okay, so if you're if the ball is played in a forward direction and any attack any attacking player is in an offside position, it's offside. So conceivably, and I don't want to, but conceivably, an injured player is down in the corner. A pass gets played forward, offside, or the ball has to be clearly to him. Very very rare example, but. But okay. but but we're making the laws of the game. We got to deal with the right. We can't have loopholes. I'm fine with your interpretation that any player is in an offside position, regardless of. But you have to be. You have to commit to it. You have to say ball is played forward in the attacking half. A player is in an offside position. You don't care if the ball was to him. He is offside. I think that has happened before, actually, where like an injured player has been down on the ground because it's hit him on the floor it's been now here's offside. now i want to walk this forward because another principle of football is the, the idea of advantage so say the referee has played advantage there because which you might you might say okay i've noted the offside but aston villa have taken possession of the ball so rather than blowing this dead the aston villa players might prefer that the ball stays in open play at what point does the effect at what point does the advantage end? And at what point has Rodri reestablished himself as being in an onside position? I didn't think there was advantage from offside. Yeah, you get offside you, you get offside played advantage played from offside all the time. Oh, so you mean like the advantage is because Villa have possession? Yes. Okay. I'd probably say the rough amount of time the players usually get, which is about what, five seconds, ten seconds worth of play? Well, 10 seconds might be a bit much. No, Sometimes... no, no. I've, I've seen that quite often, you know, where like uh, they blow back for a file quite a while back uh, and then book them or whatever. I'd, I'd say about five to 10 seconds, which would probably eliminate Rodri's involvement in that and okay. blow it and blow it for offside. But look, I, I mean, think, I'm, I'm I fine with us. But I mean, we are dealing, people have to call this what it is, which is the ball was played in the general direction of Rodri. But fundamentally, I don't think you can say that was a pass to Rodri. He is miles away from where that ball is. It was just cleared slash put forward into a dangerous area. He, he gets back onside before he touches the ball again. So I kind of, aside from taking your very like literal interpretation, any player, which I'm not against, but any player in an offside position at the time a ball is played, it's offside. I mean, you have to deal then with the scenario, right? Like one player gets played in down the left-hand channel and a player is a yard offside on the far right-hand side of the pitch. Offside. Uh, yeah, I... I... <laughs> There's holes. 
for sure. And that has legitimately frustrated me when you've got to say like overlapping wingbacks or something like that against left midfield or something. They play a ball through, say they both intend to run. No, 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 no. You are talking about a situation. That's that's a good example. Okay. But you are talking about a situation where is he interfering or is he active is a legitimate no, question. And, and I'm, I'm saying talking, that those kind of... I am talking about, I'm talking about a player on the right-hand side. So a ball is played. Raheem Sterling's playing on the left. He is miles on side, gets played in behind the defense on the, on the, on the wing, in the, on the left-hand channel. He gets played in. But on the, standing over on the right, on the touchline, is uh, Riyad Mahrez, and his big toe is offside. But he's clearly not intended to get the ball, nor are any of the defenders in the area in which the ball has been played thinking about Riyad Mahrez. But by your interpretation, offside, play stopped. I know what you're going to do with this next comment, but no, because they're on the opposite side of the field. No, then you're done. You're toast. Not really. You're hung the ball's by your gone own through the center. Here, no, the hung. ball has gone no, directly no, no, into no, the no. center. No, Why? no, no. Why? No. It's not I like it's been belted no. wildly See, I would, left. I would, have, I would have been on. I would have. Res- no, I haven't I lost would, anything because I would of have this. Been, I would have been on board with you if you'd been an offside absolutist. <laughs> but the fact that you're now going, no, well, no, not. See, oh, I'm not. The, the, don't do the voice. <laughs> like, but now you're starting going, well, he's not active. You, you've, you've he's 60 yards away. Rodri is what, five from where no, the ball's played and no. in the direction of it? No, no, no. There's no, a little no, bit no, of a difference no, no. here. Come on. This replay. At the time the ball is played, Rodri must have been 15 to 20 yards behind Tyrone Mings. But the ball was in his direction, right? He hasn't had to go 30 yards to the left to pick it up. I mean, he's had to go 15, 20 yards. Straight forward, straight back, kind of. Well, I mean, so it's in his direction. I guess I have more respect for this Manchester City team than you do. I tended to think (laughs) when a Manchester City player misses a pass by 15 to 20 yards, it probably wasn't intended for the person that you're saying it was. (laughs) Otherwise, I'm going to have to start. People will be like, what an incredible assist by Kevin De Bruyne. And I'll be like, that wasn't an incredible assist. He was actually aiming for a player 15 (laughs) yards away. You know what you're doing. (laughs) You know what you're doing. (laughs) But look, hey, hey guys, I'm back. What I miss. Wait, who are you? <laughs> if you'd been an absolutist, I would have been on board with you. But once we go in this inactive, active sense, like you've just got to accept that Ming should have done a better job defending. That's simple. All right, everyone. Chill. See, people in America love to play that the European football card is super, super boring. And I can sit there and argue against them but I would have a tough time arguing <laughs> for you guys arguing 20 minutes about the offside rule. Yeah. You can go ahead and edit that one out. <laughs> <laughs> that is where it's tough for me to get on board by saying it's not boring. I'll tell you what's less controversial. Liverpool's lack of scoring. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we kind of that seems that's an to be... in, that's an in podcast response to my bet losing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like we are discussing this every week. I mean, I think Liverpool are out of the title race almost now because really? if City win their game in hand, they're seven points behind City. 
about eight, seven games ago, they were about seven behind Liverpool. But City had multiple games in hand at that time. Like City have had games in hand going back 10 games. I don't think it's over. It's halfway through the season. I'm it's not saying it's easy to change that. I'm not saying the title race is over. I'm saying Liverpool are out of the title race. And I'm just going to say, not only did I predict that the Buffalo Bills were the dark horses to win the Super Bowl, I also made a prediction that Manchester United would have finished above Liverpool in the in the Premier League. And that's looking pretty good. And should have put that together with Sheffield United to go down, which was one of my other predictions, which is looking dead on. If only I And Tiger Roll this. not to win. Yeah, and then thrown in Tiger Roll, taking the <laughs> yeah. field in the, in the Grand National. That would be the ultimate ball ache, wouldn't it? If Tiger Roll was the one that let you down. <laughs> but I mean, if you play out these games in hand, Liverpool could be sixth. Sack club? No, but I mean, that's also the other reason why you have to start thinking they're out of the title race, because not only is it about closing a gap of seven points, it's about other teams not closing that gap at the same time. It's about scoring goals. I mean, you can... That's, that's Liverpool's fundamental problem at the moment is they can draw games, fine, but they can't well, win if, if they're not scoring. And didn't draw they didn't draw today, Sam. <laughs> no, for sure. But this is the problem. This is a big problem with Liverpool now is they need to get some sort of mojo back with their scoring. Uh, it's becoming a real issue for them. And it's interesting how there are these teams at the moment that seem to go through these momentum issues. Chelsea right now, uh, Arsenal. Um, went through it. Liverpool are now going through it as well. City at the start only won a couple of their first eight games. Like there seems to be these real kind of blip moments in this league at the moment. I'm throwing out the beginning of the season differently to this just because there was no preseason really. So I think this is different. But I don't know. I mean, we said on the last, last podcast, I said the next six games would define Liverpool's season and would either decide if they were in the title race or not. I didn't think that the match against Burnley was going to be part of the the important ones of those six games, but they are now going to have to beat, they are now going to have to beat Spurs. Like, honestly, this is the only way I can see them winning the title race in their next five league fixtures. They are going to have to beat Spurs, City, and Leicester. If they don't win all three of those now, there's no way they're winning the title. Would you, in a way, do you think it's a good time to have those games because you can immediately reverse so much of the damage really quickly? No. Or do you think it's a problem that they play a team that is as good as looking as City at the moment, or, and Leicester for that matter? And, and Spurs, who aren't looking terrible. Yeah, they're on the way back as well. So. No, I kind of think if you were Jurgen Klopp right now, you would want to be playing Sheffield United at home. Burnley at home. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. He would have thought, <laughs> yeah. wow, what a perfect yeah, fixture for us. I'm, I'm doing atrociously against the teams at the lower end of the table, so we might as well try our hand against the top five. <laughs> and then you're going to start throwing the Champions Leagues back in. So then they're going to have to start, and they don't have a super easy, they're playing Leipzig, not a super easy tie for them. So I think they're toast. Good riddance, I say. Warm, buttery toast. 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 You know what that's from? No. 
<laughs> Mission Impossible. That's the way he tests the sound thing before he falls down from the ceiling. He goes toast, and the little like uh, indicator goes from like green to yellow to red. <laughs> that is obscure. Yeah, most people remember the falling down, like the kind of like getting lowered down into the room. You remember Great the sound scene. check. Oh, I remember that whole scene. I- iconic scene. Very okay. Iconic. Yeah, iconic. Yeah, definitely an iconic scene. I didn't didn't know the toast part was part of the. Yeah, way to Frank to find the one bit of the iconic scene that's not memorable. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other part doesn't have much sound, so. <laughs> Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs> because that's why he's testing the sound. <laughs> I'll, I'll defer on that one. Now, I guess one of the final stories that we also touched on uh, in the last episode was the situation with tennis players in quarantining for the Australian Open. And a little bit of a war of words has broken out between Novak Djokovic and Nick Kyrgios, with Nick Kyrgios labeling Novak Djokovic a tool for suggesting that uh, <laughs> there needed to be improvements to the situation in which um, tennis players were living in the build-up to the to the tournament, and Kyrgios said, "No matter how many Grand Slams he wins, he will never be the greatest for me. Simply because I've played him twice, and I'm sorry, but if you can't beat me, you're not the greatest of all time." <laughs> and he said, "He then followed it up with, I ain't holding back.'" And obviously, Nick Kyrgios has beaten Djokovic in both of their career encounters in 2017 and, well, both of them in Indian Wells and Acapulco. That's pretty impressive. Like, it's not in a, it's not in a Grand Slam, right? But it's still pretty impressive to have two against Djokovic and have both wins. The surprising thing for me is they've only played twice, um, yeah. in a way, and that somehow Nick Kyrgios has managed to not retire in either of those matches. That's the most surprising thing. Yeah, or get tossed. Yeah, but like my opinion of Nick Kyrgios is that he's both good and bad for tennis. I think he can be petulant at times. And I think the fact that he kind of loses interest on the courts and retires or just gives up and abandoned matches, that's really bad when you do have paying spectators coming to see, see games. And for you to just decide, I can't be bothered with this today, isn't good enough for a professional player but his overall fun-loving attitude and and the way he kind of says what he thinks, I think that's great. And I think this is an instance of him. And he acknowledged that right in the buildup where he basically said, you got these players complaining and like, we have a dream job. And most people in the world would love to switch places with any tennis player in quarantine. And for tennis players to be complaining about the fact that it's not the kind of five-star accommodation that they're usually used to is being so out of touch with what the rest of the world is going through. I think, I think he's right. Yeah. I can see validity in that argument for sure. I mean, every sport needs to have someone like that. Whereas Djokovic, who's kind of spoken out, he wrote a letter to the, I'm going to say it's the governor of victoria Arnold, oh no arnold schwarzenegger then. no yeah, no no <laughs> no 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 I, th- I think it's the president of the australian open no but he also addressed it to the person who's setting the like quarantine rules for this the state of victoria 
Oh, okay. So I don't know if it's the, I don't know if it, it might not be the governor. I don't know what the correct terminology is, but he, in his open letter. Get to the was, chopper. That was part of it. And he said, I've earned my privileges the hard way. And for that reason, it's very difficult for me to not, to be a mere onlooker, knowing how much every help, gesture, and good word mattered to me when I was small and insignificant in the world pecking order. Now, Djokovic was only briefly small and insignificant in the world pecking order, it has to be said. But uh, yeah, I just think this looks bad. It's a bad look. It's like when the NBA bubble started and all the t- NBA players were losing their minds because they had to eat sandwiches out of styrofoam containers for like 24 hours. For one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, you have to understand that people are really putting in so much effort to get these things to go ahead. And just, if you have to, be cooped up in not your ideal hotel room for two weeks it's not the end of the world and look they are going to be playing the australian open as well it's not like they're stuck in there and having to play like virtual tennis on a games console to accommodate they are going to play the game and making tons of money right yeah (laughs) that's the other thing that's not well i know but i i thought his argument obviously not for him but i thought it was that for people who are maybe on the fringe of this you know, maybe make or make or break their career, right? You're an average tennis player and you have one good open major open and it changes your career and that there could be people that were primed and ready to go and have that world or life changing tournament, but now have to just sit in quarantine and do nothing to train for 14 days. And then that moment passes them by and they never get this opportunity again. Right. I mean, that's, I don't think he's the right spokesperson for that. I get that he is an ambassador of tennis. So maybe he is speaking for the little people. I don't buy that part of it. I think he's just inconvenienced himself, but I'm sure there are people who this will legitimately affect their careers. hundred percent. And I'm, I'm sympathetic um, when it comes to those cases. The thing I'll say is tennis players are very, very good at taking the side of the little man or little woman um, when it suits. So for example, even in the instance, for example, you take the push for equal pay or equal prize money, at least in tennis that had Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal all instantly on board. And, and that's great. But then when one of the big issues in t- that tennis faces is that the money doesn't trickle down so that there are players ranked, you know, 80 to hundred in the world who are regularly competing in pretty big tournaments who are struggling to get by when they factor in all the costs associated with traveling all over the world to play tennis. I don't hear Novak Djokovic coming out and saying, Hey, you know how I'm supposed, if I win the Australian open, I'm going to get $2.3 million or whatever. Why don't we cut that to $2 million and spread that 300,000 in some like lower ranking play for some lower ranking players. Or one of the other big issues you have when you look at these, these grand slams is practice time. So every player is guaranteed some practice time in preparation for their matches. And if you're a small player, you just get your guaranteed practice time. But if you're Novak Djokovic, not only you get your guaranteed practice time, but you're able to swing some extra court time in preparation for each of your matches. And again, I don't hear Novak Djokovic out there saying like, you know what? Every player should have exactly the same amount of time on court in the buildup to their match. Shouldn't be different for me or Nadal just because we're more famous. And that to me is- No, I agree. You can do a good thing without always doing a good thing. But in this instance, it kind of just seems like yeah. he's also being affected by the isolation. Yeah, and he's just using rules. this as his excuse to be able to bring it up. No, yeah. I, I agree 100%. It, 
And that's, I think that's kind of the thing that's going to be lost in all of this COVID related stuff is it, at least sports wise, the superstars aren't going to be affected very much. The people who are like these fringe athletes that might get a lucky break and make a career out of it, they're going to be lost. So like a good one for me that comes to mind is um, I know you don't want to talk about the NHL, but you know, they've canceled a lot of the minor league hockey leagues and the people who are in the NHL, they're still playing and they're going to be great. But someone who maybe needed one more year and like they trained super hard, and this was going to be their chance to go into the minor leagues, have a good season and make it to the NHL. They have to now sit out almost a year and a half, you know, and that opportunity might pass them by and they never get that opportunity. Like those are the people that are going to suffer. Like I don't give a shit about James Harden having to eat a, a soggy sandwich in the, in the bubble. You uh, know, I think James Harden's been eating a lot of soggy sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> he's been eating a lot of something, man. He's got a gut and a half. Yeah, it's it's not does, flattering in that in that new uniform. <laughs> he does look a little bit better now that he's been traded. But yeah, he my word for a professional athlete, he does not look good. But you're you're 100 right. And you know what, Djokovic also is an elf. So you have like Tomic, who Kyrgios and Tomic kind of get thrown into the bad boys of Australian tennis group together although Kyrgios has achieved far more and overall just seems like a nice guy whereas Tomic just seems like a total asshole and Tomic's girlfriend uh, didn't help them by her complaint was that the food they were getting in the hotel was cold and also by saying on her YouTube channel this is the worst part of quarantine I don't wash my own hair I've never washed my own hair it's just not something that I do I normally have hairdressers that do it twice a week for me. This is the situation that we're dealing with. I can't wait to get out of quarantine just so that I can get my hair done. Wow, what a relatable struggle. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That is amazing. And that is, I mean, we need to start some, you know, charitable fundraisers for these people because it's this is tough. And I'm actually counting down the days so I go get my hair cut. Oh, there is one thing I wanted to bring up before we end this is the national anthem singers for the Super Bowl was announced. And I'm a little nervous because I have won the last four Super Bowls on picking the over and under for the length of the national anthem. But this year, it's going to be two singers. So I don't really know logistically how this is going to work. And it's I think they did this purposely because they're tired of people winning the bets on the national anthem. So now they've countered it by giving a, a, I don't know if it's going to be like a duet, if they're both going to sing at the same time, if they're going to do like a little back and forth. Yeah. They'll do one but, word each. Yeah. That would oh, be amazing. <laughs> Who are the two? It's country rocker, Eric church <laughs> and R and B star Jasmine Sullivan. Interesting. Trying okay. to please, trying to please everyone with that selection. Yep. Pretty that much is, America and the South. <laughs> that is, that is the, that is the NFL trying to bridge the gap to cross the aisle as Joe Biden begins his presidency. It's the NFL that's making the first step. Oh, look at that face. Sam. Don't want to bring up that. Don't want to Ooh. at least acknowledge <laughs> acknowledge the fact that the inauguration took place. Not in Sam's mind, it didn't. 
No, Trump's still president. He'll always be my president. Yeah, at least <laughs> in your heart. You'll never believe in any politician who believes in COVID. COVID idiots, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Talk to you boys later. See ya.